from Medical Media, this is The Ortho Show. This edition of The Ortho Show, Alt AAOS, is brought to you by Kairos North America, Kairos are excited to be launching their new Infinity Lock button system, a super simple, super fast ACJ repair system. No coracoid drilling, high strength, low stress, less time. Check out the Infinity Lock and Kairos other new innovations at kairosna.com. That's X-I-R-O-S-N-A.com. We hope you enjoy this episode of our Alt. Uh, hi, everybody. This is Dr. William Levine. Uh, I am the chairman of orthopedic surgery at Columbia University Medical Center uh, in New York City, uh, which right now is uh, almost the epicenter of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, so it's interesting times. And uh, I'm here tonight to, uh, to chat a little bit about uh, life um, really after we just had AAOS canceled for the first time since, um, I guess, since the uh, hurricane um, in 2000. What year was that? Maybe 2007. I guess 2005, 2007. I think 05. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. been it's been a, a you know a long um, glorious run, and here we are having to meet uh, on the phone instead. And we really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show, and and uh, we're going to do our alternative double AOS here here instead. We're going to do our best to get the message out. So th- thanks for joining us. So um, rightly, you said we were all going to travel down there and, uh, you know, surgeons such as yourself had a lot of presentations. You had a really busy schedule, it looked like. Uh, but in particular, we're interested in this title that you had of navigating the challenges of mentoring in today's environment. Can you give me a little bit of a an, an overview of, of what that was about before we jump into some questions around it? Yeah, um, a, a former uh, fellow from Columbia, Selena Poon, who's a pediatric orthopedic surgeon in Southern California, uh, put together a phenomenal uh, symposium uh, around mentorship. Um, and I think it's one of the, the topics that is not particularly well uh, spoken about at our national meetings and more so than not even not talking about it. It's not actually done as much, meaning mentorship isn't done as much uh, as we need to. Um, And so it's one of my passions uh, in what I do uh, in so many walks of of life of of my various hats that I wear. So I've always enjoyed mentoring medical students and residents and fellows and now young faculty. Um, As chairman at Columbia, I've uh, hired now 27 faculty in the last five years uh, and so I think mentorship is one of those topics that that doesn't really get enough uh, attention. So Selena uh, reached out to me uh, when she submitted this um, idea for a, a course at the this year's academy on mentorship. And uh, because of my passion for it, she actually asked if I'd participate. And I was thrilled to do so and, and obviously sad that we're not going to be able to do it. But we'll obviously do it next year uh, in San Diego. So I'm excited about that. So, Dr. Levine, can you help me a little bit here, a little bit naive on the subject? But could you help me understand the difference between a resident or a fellow whom you've obviously taken under your wing and you're doing 
in that uh, relationship, I would say you're doing some tutoring. What's the main difference between that and what you would call a true mentor relationship? Well, residency, as you as you may know, is a five year, usually a five year um, uh, relationship uh, in. Um, uh, in orthopedic surgery anyway. So those are medical students who are applying around the country and then they match through the computer program system uh, to a specific place. So if we have six residents a year and so uh, in in uh, two weeks actually we will find out who the next six uh, folks will be joining our, our department and our family for the next five years. Uh, fellowship is um, a, a different kind of relationship. Um, residents come and go on different rotations. So they spend, you know, for, if there's six residents, like in our program, that means they spend six two-month rotations. Uh, and then after each two-month rotation, they rotate to another service. So they may spend time in pediatric orthopedics and then in shoulder and elbow or sports medicine or spine or so on and so forth. But a fellowship is a dedicated year for a graduate of an orthopedic residency program in their super subspecialized area of interest that they've now decided that they really want to hone in on, say, sports medicine or shoulder and elbow surgery or spine surgery or so forth. So the fellowship and the fellow faculty relationship uh, is a more intense one-on-one uh, mentorship kind of relationship. You can have those same types of uh, mentorship uh, relationships during residency, uh, but it's a little bit uh, more challenging just because, again, people are going to be coming and going. Uh, and so you, once residents decide they may be going into your area of subspecialty uh, focus, then, then that resident may gravitate towards having uh, you as a faculty member become a mentor for them. Whereas the fellows relationship, they are in your area of subspecialty and you're going to be spending this fairly intense year uh, together because they're trying to basically get everything they possibly can uh, out of that one year. And then they're going to go out on their own and finally begin their practice. So what makes what goes into selecting the ideal mentorship program? Because I would imagine that not all personalities are a very good mesh to get the best out of that relationship. So uh, help me understand, first of all, how you identify, uh, you know, a good match and a, and, a, and a good relationship. And then from there, how do you navigate that obvious pitfall of, hey, you know, this, this isn't this isn't working. And, and do, you know, how do we match you up with somebody else or move on? Well, it, it's a great question. And what one of the things that happens during the interview process for both applicant and uh, the fellowship faculty, uh, if we're going to focus on the fellowship part of this for now, is is specifically that it's it's not about at this point, especially because you're going to be you know done with the residency training program. So we're going to presume at face value that for the most part, the residents coming to our fellowship. Uh, can operate, they have good ethics, they can take care of patients, because these have, these people have been uh, vetted and then vouched for by their mentors during residency. So it's a very different interview process, to be perfectly honest, at the fellowship level than it is at the residency level. Because to be honest, at the residency level, these are medical students that are coming in and saying they want to be an orthopedic surgeon. But the reality is we don't really know. 
that they're going to be good orthopedic surgeons. All we know at, up to that point is they're incredibly accomplished from a, a book smart perspective because they've had to be in the top 1% of every single thing they've done academically to get into this orthopedic surgery uh, club. It's very competitive to get into uh, orthopedics. So at that point, we, we're going based on grades and scores and testing and some one-month auditions that they spend where they spend some time on your service. But even that is limited in how we really understand, do they have good hand-eye coordination? Do they have good surgical skills? We really don't know that. Uh, so we, we kind of take, a, uh, take a, a lark on that and say, well, we, we think that they've got potential. They're certainly smart. Uh, we, we like them, et cetera. And now we're going to train them for five years and, and become uh, surgeons. Uh, at the fellow level, now when I'm interviewing uh, for that at that, um, at that juncture of their, of their career, it's completely different. So I'm going to call the, the, their advocates before we invite them for interviews, and I'm going to get the, the real story, first of all. This is a, a trick I learned a long time ago, is that, you know, a fellow asks, a, a resident asks somebody from their faculty to write them a letter of recommendation, and it's very rare that a, a faculty member would say, no, I'm not going to write you a letter. <laughs> so the letters are usually pretty good, but when at, at that point, these are all friends of ours. So we all are, know each other. And so if I call you on the phone and I say, listen, tell me about John, this resident from your program who, who you wrote a letter for and who's applying to our fellowship, uh, off the record and not on, on paper, they may say, listen, this is not somebody that I think would be a good fit for you. Uh, and so that was that was something I learned a long time ago. And so I never uh, send an invite for interviews at the fellowship level until I've already spoken to their advocates and make sure that they pass the uh, the off the record test, I like to call it. So I'm assuming in this role of mentor that not everybody is cut out for that either. So could you give us um, a little bit of guidance here on what you would consider to be, first of all, the main attributes of a mentor, and then for anybody considering uh, doing that, so someone that perhaps doesn't have a fellows or residents under their wing and they're thinking of transitioning into that kind of teaching role, um, you know, what, what should they consider before they do that? Yeah, I, I think it's a really important point because, you know, there's there's a lot of training programs, fellowships and other, where um, they don't really view their, um, their role as mentors. And so a lot of it is just like, I want to get the work done and I think it'd be nice to have a fellow or a resident help me to, you know, do some of the work that I might not want to do, et cetera. So uh, I think that's what we really focus on a lot when we talk to our prospective fellows. For me, mentorship is, is all about what fellowship is really, it's, the, it's kind of the heart and soul, frankly, of what fellowship is. Uh, and so we, when I'm, met, when I'm counseling my residents uh, who are going out and looking for different fellowships, it's one of the things we talk about a lot is looking for people that uh, are interested in you as a person uh, in fostering a relationship that is not just for the one year 
that you're there as a fellow. So the so the so-called one and done fellowship is where you go, you do your year, and then that's it. There's there's really not anything that happens afterwards. There's no relationship that's been built. There's no reunions. There's no get-togethers. There's no phone calls. There's no help along the way, both personally and professionally. And while that may sound bad, I, I don't say that as a, a, a negative necessarily. That's just not what I'm looking for. And that's not what uh, the people that are coming, coming to us uh, are looking for. So, you know, for us, our mentorship is the start, that fellowship year is the start of the mentorship, but it's a lifelong journey of learning and education and of, uh, of a transition. It's very interesting to see how, you know, you start in this mentor-mentee relationship relationship and then it evolves and it morphs and it turns into colleagues and friends and you're sharing you know you're you, we we have a reunion for example every other year with our fellows uh, and it's one of the the highlights of most of our uh, of our meeting careers because we bring our families there so we have you know the academic sessions in the morning and then our kids have all grown up together with our 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 colleagues and and peers and friends uh, kids uh, and and so it's a it's a really incredible opportunity to spend time with these people that you know we we are, have such an intense relationship with during the year, and then as it as we kind of go off on our own, uh, those relationships change and and evolve, and that's really one of the the highlights for me of of why I do this. It really sounds like you guys have formed a real community there. I mean the 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 one and done experience of no no emails. No calls, no reunions does sound an awful lot like my high school dating career, <laughs> but uh, it sounds like you guys have done a much better job. So obviously this hasn't just um, come from nowhere for you. I, I get the feeling that probably you had a very good mentor um, as you came through the beginning of your career. Um, are you able to share with us you know, who that was and, and maybe a little bit about what that meant to you or how it, how it you know, forged you a little bit to be able to do this? Yeah, I, I talk about this all the time when I give talks on mentorship, and and I would have talked about it at the academy. So, um, you know, you, you always start with someone, and for me, that someone was a guy named Peter Scholes. And Peter was a pediatric orthopedic surgeon at Case Western in Cleveland, where I was a medical student. And when you were at Case Western, if you were going into orthopedics, it basically was kind of the, the it was known on the street that Peter Scholes was the guy. He was going to take every Case Western student that was interested in ortho. And as long as you had the grades and you had put the, the time and effort in, he was going to do everything in his power to try to get you to match in this very competitive orthopedic surgery world. And I always said way back then, and I had no idea where my career would take me, but I always thought that if I ever had a chance to pay forward uh, to respect Peter for what he did for me, that I, I would want to do that. And so when I came to Columbia eventually in 1998 and joined the faculty, uh, I immediately uh, be, basically became the medical student advisor uh, for those interested in going into orthopedics. And now 21 years later, despite my role having changed from a residency director to uh, to department chair, which isn't always 
uh, conducive with continuing mentoring medical students, to be perfectly honest. Um, uh, I continue to this day, uh, in fact, met with one of the medical students this morning interested in going into orthopedics uh, and have another meeting tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. with another uh, Columbia student. So it, it's a passion of mine uh, that I continue to uh, to uh, be able to, I have the privilege of being able to continue to do. Um, and it's one of those things that makes, uh, I think makes me very proud of the uh, uh, opportunity that we have. We've had uh, over 21 years, we have a 97% success rate in matching our Columbia medical students uh, who want to go into orthopedic surgery. That's a pretty close to unprecedented uh, at almost any other place. And of course, that's not because of me. That's because of the students that uh, come through Columbia. These are amazing students. But it is nice to have someone who has their finger on the pulse and knows uh, which programs to send them to and where they should rotate and, and so on and so forth. So it's it's been a, a fun ride for sure. Okay. Well, Dr. Levine, I'm going to transition now. I always do a little extra credit part here. So these are just kind of fun, quick fire questions. You don't have to think about them too much. Um, and let's just see how you get on here. So uh, the first question is, uh, what do you think the next big evolution in orthopedics will be or should be? Uh, I think it's for sure going to be something in the biologics area. Um, you know, there's clearly going to be advancements uh, way beyond what we're doing now. Uh, and I'm sure when we look back in 20 years at total joint replacements and plates and screws and things that we do, we'll look uh, back and think we were fairly barbaric. <laughs> Good answer. Okay, next question. Just four questions. So ne next question. Uh, what do you believe to be the biggest pain point in the industry in general at the moment? Could be anything. The biggest pain point right now, I think, is um, – Boy, I, I think that the the problem we have right now is the uh, over constraint of regulatory problems from all sides. And um, as a as a guy who pushes the envelope because I'm in an academic setting, uh, I understand that. But I think there's increasing. There's so much regulatory. Uh, stuff that it's making it harder for us to just do the the things we love to do, which is take care of patients and and fix their problems. Okay, uh, next one. This is this one I always think is quite funny. If you had to do one surgery for the rest of your days, what would that surgery be, and and why would you pick that one? Oh, that's so easy. Um, I w it would be a shoulder replacement. Um, and the reason is that, that that surgery you can take to the bank, patients do well. Uh, 97, 96% of the time, sat patient satisfaction. Uh, I, did, I just did two this afternoon, uh, and it's just a, a wonderful operation. Good for you. I don't know if you know Matt Ravenscroft from the UK, but we were doing an interview earlier this week. He's a surgeon over there. He said the exact same thing, funnily enough. Yeah. Okay, final question for you. Um, what surgery technique or prescription that we're, that we're currently doing and using should we not be doing and or using and why? Um, there's an operation right now that's very popular called the superior capsular reconstruction. And it is an operation that has uh, 
completely escalated and uh, exploded in popularity uh, in the last five years. And uh, it is an operation that should be used in extremely narrow indications, uh, but it's exploded and there's going to be a lot of failures. They're already they're already happening. So I think it's one of those operations that was industry driven uh, to a large extent. Uh, and um, unfortunately, the science uh, lagged behind. And now that the science will start coming forth, we're going to see a dramatic uh, decrease in its popularity. And that's that's a story that we've seen uh, in so many subspecialties, every subspecialty really in orthopedics, where the technology um, uh, leads the science. Yeah, the pendulum swings too far one way. Uh, Dr. Levine, I, I just want to finish up by saying, first of all, really appreciate you taking the time here out of what is a very busy schedule. I know it's late in the evening in New York, so um, we're going to let you... Uh, go and get some sleep before your 6 a.m. meeting tomorrow. Um, well, see, you, you don't you don't know me well enough because I, I don't sleep. <laughs> so this isn't late at all. <laughs> okay. Well, um, but that's okay. I, thanks for being part of our alternative double AOS. We'll, we're, we're doing the best we can to get some information out to people in, in lieu of our meeting in Orlando. And hopefully, uh, I very much hope that we get to connect face to face in the future. And we'll, we'll certainly look for you at next year's double AOS in San Diego. That'd be great. 